0: Hello there, it's Ian Astbury. Just was wondering if you could take more pictures. This is a really bad English accent, by the way. And then I <laughs> met him. I shot him. We became friends. They're all people. They all breathe the same air. It's like, yeah, I swam with a shark yesterday. You don't scare me. It, I, I think
1: they appreciate that. I'm Justin J. As a photographer, I've gotten to shoot rock stars, hip hop moguls, world class athletes, and some other truly extraordinary subjects. I'm fascinated by the backstories and life experiences that help shape these compelling people. The right photograph can reveal quite a lot about someone, but some stories can't be told with just a picture. Sometimes you need to sit down, listen, and dig a little deeper. This is The Plug. Hollywood is a town notoriously filled with sharks. Ruthless, disingenuous, and deceitful dealmakers whose loyalty is only as strong as the success of your last project. Despite the pitfalls and hazards of the industry, today's guest has managed to rise to the top of his field. He's photographed countless iconic movie posters and, in turn, helped to shape the images of some of the biggest movie stars on the planet. Navigating the complicated minefields of actors, publicists, and studio heads doesn't really intimidate him much anymore. He's armed with the unique perspective and experience of having swam with sharks. Actual great white sharks. He's been on over 30 shark diving expeditions, and he's shot some of the most remarkable images of these magnificent creatures ever taken. So what lessons can be learned from facing your fears and swimming with sharks, and what similarities exist between these predators and his other subjects? We'll find out as we sit down for a conversation with one of the most sought-after commercial photographers in the business. Today, photographer, father, and avid shark conservationist, Mr. Michael Muller. Michael, thanks for sitting down, man. appreciate it. Pleasure. So, I I think we crossed paths a few times um, at the Aaron Style Contest when I was working with Sean White and... I started to do a little research into your work after I saw a picture of, of yours at a friend's house. Um, my friend, Ryan Bucci, who I know you've, we've worked with before. He's a producer on the show. He has this amazing framed photo of a great white shark in his living room. And it's, it's stunning. And, you know, after, after seeing that, I was, I had to look into who this guy was, you know? And so I did a little research on all the things you've done over your career. And it's pretty amazing. The diversity of, of work you've been able to do. Um, not many photographers are able to pull that off, and you know we had this conversation with Glennie Friedman when he was on the show because he's done a lot of you know Dogtown skate photography and punk rock and 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 hip hop and things that you normally you wouldn't necessarily think work together, and not many photographers are able to pull that off and have such a diverse body of work. Speak to me about how that happened. What's your career path? Does that speak to just your your curiosity about life? Is it about how you you have to constantly reinvent yourself as a photographer? Or is that just a natural progression for someone who's been in the game so long? It's it's a combination from both. Uh, First of all, pleasure being on your podcast, man.
0: And Bucci Bucci. Um, (laughs) You know, I started shooting when I was 15 and 85, uh, snowboarding with like Damian Sanders and uh, all those guys, and then rock and roll uh hustling my way way into getting um photo passes from record companies saying that I was shooting for the local papers, so I'd shoot all the bands and get the press pass right up there, and you know that that sort of hustle that sort of <laughs> making stuff happen is crucial uh i think as a as an artist a commercial artist, or to just to sort of propel yourself, you really need to hustle because that's. That's how you get stuff done in this world. But I, uh, I have in 35 years of shooting, I always say it have never gone to work once. I, I don't go to work. I, I wake up and I'm like, oh, I'm I got to do what I love doing. Often paid for it, often not. Uh, I do it because I love doing it. I'm curious about the world, and I'm I'm always wanting to evolve myself. Uh, true believer in Darwin's "evolve or die," you know. Uh, so I point my lens at. I've shot. Just, I mean, from outlaw bikers to, you know, uh, movie posters to, and to sharks, you know, which uh, was a passion project, which I did in between my commercial jobs.
1: So I'm curious about your your mental process shooting celebrities and managing egos and you know directing these very famous people. And I'll, I'll put it in context. So I used to I was personal photographer to Sean Combs for about ten years. So mm-hmm. I traveled with him and I got to shoot just an extraordinary list of people in like really amazing situations there's a lot of psychology involved and you have to really convince people to to trust you and to feel comfortable around you but i mean ultimately my goal in that situation was like i really wanted to just become invisible so mm-hmm. that i could document this amazing situation and we you know without disturbing it it almost seems it's the exact opposite of what you have to accomplish a lot of times when you're dealing with these celebrity portraits i mean you really have to project the sense of of being in control and having a vision and kind of shepherding these egos. It was that something that came really natural to you or was that something that took a long time to develop?
0: Um it's 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 always been sort of natural to me. Yeah, there's different worlds when you're documenting, you want to be a fly on the wall and uh that's a portion of my work and then there's, you know, when I'm when I'm doing portraiture commissioned work which uh when you step on the mark you're you're sort of in my world. I'm the conductor, I'm the director and people want that. Uh in my experience 90 99 maybe 98 percent of people do not like having their photos taken their vulnerabilities come out all of our insecurities come out which everyone has from the biggest celebrity to the biggest billionaire to politicians to nba players they're insecure. okay we're all insecure. so you think these people would have you know the looks and the money and all that and they're like no they're terrified listen i met i met my idol when i was i think 18 19 Uh, i love the cult i have fucking grew up on the cult right so i moved to la and maybe six months after i get an answering on my old voice you know recording with the tape hello there it's ian Osterberry. hey listen i was wondering if you could take more pictures this is a really bad english accent by the way and i was like <laughs> I-, I was like oh my god right and then i met him i shot him we became friends we went and shot the world cup soccer team like and, and sort of after that <laughs> like I, you know they're all people. They all breathe the same air, and I think that's one of the, you know, it's like yeah. I swam with a shark yesterday. You don't scare me. It's mostly yeah. they're people that you know want to get in, but
1: yeah. So uh, I think they appreciate that. I think that natural sense of of being relaxed really shows in 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 the photos, and you know from your description as well. And, you know I've gotten to see a lot of different photographers shooting celebrities over the years, and everyone seems to have their own different approach. I mean there seems to be one approach with a photographer almost holds themselves as if they're a celebrity themselves, you know, and you see it, they walk on set and they have that attitude and the swagger and the confidence and they're very um, palsy with with the actor and then on the other side of the spectrum, you have somebody like, let's take Mark Seliger for instance which, I mean, I'm a huge fan, I think he's really talented at getting unique moments out of celebrities, but you know, ultimately, like, he's kind of nerdy and I don't mean that as a disrespect, it's just like, he just has a different approach you know, he's not presenting himself as being appear, you know, and so I'm curious, like for really large egos, is that a what's a way for you to kind of psychologically navigate that minefield?
0: You know, everyone's different. You nailed it earlier. You I have to earn their trust in a very short amount of time. And I think my confidence, uh the way I shoot which is very fast, very efficient, uh it's I'm sometimes a little bit of a whirlwind, you know, when I'm in when I'm shooting, I'm in my zone, man. Like anything can happen. I you know, I often have 50, 80 people on set, you know, and they're all coming to me with what to do. Um, so it's that confidence and that I have in 35 years of experience, uh, a respect I have for people, uh, you know, and, and some people I, you know, and I will, I will always try to get those shots, those unique moments, uh, whether it's, you know, making fun of myself to get them to laugh. Uh, You know, like I remember, and I always have my finger on the trigger and I just have fast, like I'm always ready. So if you do something, be prepared for me to capture. I remember Michael Douglas going like this and I was like, click, and I got, you know, got it like before. (laughs) Um, But. I don't look at, uh, I don't look at, I don't look really online. I don't look at magazines, never have. I always want to be inspired within, not from seeing something else. And I'm always trying to really create something that I haven't seen and show someone in maybe a way that you haven't seen, like peel the masks off and let's, let's get to the essence of the person. Let's do something iconic. Like that's the goal, right? And what I say to people is like, let's try this. If you don't like it, I'll delete it, right? Or I'll I'll tear the negative. And people are always sort of, all right, let's try it. And they always usually end up loving it because you get them out. And, and I'm not going to have them do something that's stupid, you know. There and there is those photographers that put people in in those compromising positions, and I never want to do that. And you know, if you can get them to do something out of their comfort zone, they usually love it because they got out of their comfort zone.
1: Yeah, I mean, it seems like each photographer kind of has his skill set that they really leverage. I mean, as some photographers, it's really just about like post-production or a certain lighting or like the, the technical aspects of it. And then, you know, on the far side, there's some, some photographers that I've seen work and it's just like, wow, that guy is he's just so funny and charismatic. And there's something about the way that they approach that celebrity, that, that they're going to get something completely unique. And I, I think that on the spectrum, I would say that side is much more important. You can always learn the hot new lighting. You can always like, Put in, you know a lot of production on the post end but I mean it seems like you really have the ability to, to deal with people and to make them feel comfortable and that's that's priceless you know
0: yeah you know the photos if the bones aren't there you can add all the bells and whistles you want and it's not going to be an iconic image you gotta get the moment it's all about a moment with photography it's that moment uh, that really is where you you capture the magic man and it's it's a little bit of fairy dust and you know it's like luck opportunity and hard work colliding that's really a lot of hard work and I go from shooting with 35 strobe lights to walking them outside and using available light and that's where I've always loved I want to be able to I want to be able to uh, shoot anything in any situation, you put me anywhere in the world at any time of day or night, and I'll get the shot. And that's what makes clients feel good. And, and uh, that's just, you know, you put me in the house right now with my three daughters and my wife, and you know,
1: that's a whole other world of learning. <laughs> it's funny, you mentioned the moment, and I've always gravitated towards, towards, you know, documentary photos, or, or even portrait photos that really have captured that essence. But I mean, you shoot some fashion stuff, too. And I would almost argue that, that's the one element of photography where the the moment tends to be subjugated by a lot of other I don't want to say bells and whistles because that's dismissive, but like for instance, when I was a photo assistant, I got to work with Francois Nars, who came up as a very famous makeup artist and he started being a photographer and so he brought a really amazing team and he was shooting eight by ten and we would have six seven hours of makeup, and then he would bounce the hair and he would bounce it. but the point being by the time the subject got onto 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 set like of the photo was already taken, you know, in terms of, and and that's not my skill set. Like, I don't have the meticulous vision to be able to direct hair and makeup like that. But that was his lane, you know, but the end product was just as compelling as somebody who made a celebrity laugh and caught that moment, you know, is that a fair statement? Well, I, it resonates with me.
0: You know, when I moved to LA when I was 19, I started testing models. So I was working with a lot. That's how I learned. I, I went to Otis Parsons for six months. I, you know, I came here as a snowboarding rock and roll photographer. Well, I went to Otis Parsons and I went to the guidance council. I'm like, what do I need this diploma for? And they're like, to teach. I'm like, okay, sayonara. So I started testing models. And that's how I learned how to take pictures of people, right? I did a few for free. And then I started charging $50 a roll, then 100 a roll, and 150 But- when I came to that point, like what type of, do I want to be a fashion photographer? And this is a little drastic, but I literally said, I'd rather put a gun in my mouth than deal with these people every day. Cause that's all you got to shoot. There's like top five, top fashion guys and maybe eight and they do all the campaigns, you know, but that's pretty much all they shoot. Yeah. And you're right. But you give me Kate Moss, right. And an amazing hair and makeup team, amazing stylist, amazing set people. All you have to do is literally this because those top models know how to work the camera.
1: All you do is this. And it's like, 80% of the magic is already there. That's why we say, like, you know, if you take a a photography student who's got a, you know, a decent eye and you give them the great hair and makeup and great styling and a great model, they'll get a pretty good fashion story. But, you know, have that same person try and shoot tabletop or jewelry. like Cars <laughs> with all the reflections, which is like, you know, 10 yeah, mirrors exactly. put together. I heard you say in an interview that you had never photo assisted before. You never worked as a photo assistant. You never wanted to work for somebody who was doing what you wanted to do. And I can totally empathize with that. Like I was a photo assistant for five years and you know, it is exciting at first because you get to be a part of that process. But the bargain that you make is that you get to have firsthand knowledge of, of the politics of the industry and the technical side of it. But eventually if you don't get out soon enough, you start to become a little bit resentful, you know? Um, But it strikes me as strange because the work that you do lately is on such a massive scale. I mean, some of your productions are absolutely huge. So I'm curious how you were able to scale up to shooting productions that were that large without ever having worked for anybody that did that. I mean, did you have some missteps along the way? No. But uh, I'll, I'll
0: talk to you about assistance first. I did assist one time, and it was on a testing, a model shoot. And that was the one time I'm like, I don't want to watch you do and give you ideas and do all that. I want to do it myself. So that was the one assisting job on a test shoot that I did. Uh, when it comes to my own personal assistance, I have maybe five or six that have gone on to be successful photographers. And that's because I cut them off. Because there's the ones that I see that shouldn't be, like, they need to go do their thing. And, and I don't want, like... I'm like, I don't want them getting resentful because that's what happens. Yeah.
1: Is there an element of altruism that where you're like, Oh, you've given me this part of your life and now it's time for you to go do your thing. Or is it more like this guy's not hungry anymore and I don't want him on my set. No, nah, not self interest at all. I, I just
0: know that I never wanted to do it, so I, I try to pa- you know pay it forward like to the guys. And then there's other guys that I know that that's sort of their they they're cool being a professional assistant, yeah. you know. And how I how I learned productions was this: I shot for 15 years with available light, right? Pretty much, you know, whatever, working maybe with a ring flash or something like that. Then I got a strobe one, you know, one pro photo. Started taking it outside, learned with one. Then I got two. Then I got three, and it grew. Um, and then when I did my first sort of studio shoots, I got an amazing assistants that knew how to set up the lighting and tell them what I want and just learned as I went, just like everything else. Like I sort of love self teaching my, and, and I still to this day, like, like looking at new lighting, how can I, how can I do something that I haven't seen myself
1: do before? Do you miss the days of just run and gun and shooting like an unknown actor and cruising around the street and kind of doing guerrilla style? I mean, do you find that you're captive to the huge productions sometimes? I've done it four
0: times in the last three weeks. (laughs) I still run and gun all the time and I take big I, I, here's a perfect here's a perfect example when i was doing entourage the first uh, the first shoot i did i don't know if it was season 2 or 3 we shot in the studio right and they had this concept for the poster so i did that and this is my first shoot with hbo huge studio huge show and at the end of the shoot i'm like okay I'm taking the guys outside and they all started to come with me. I'm like, no, you all staying back here to the, to the studio. And I took the four boys up to Santa Monica Boulevard, put them in the middle of the two lanes of traffic, started walking them down the Santa Monica Boulevard with my assistants holding lights behind me. And they freaking loved it. We got back and when they made the composite, uh, they couldn't do it. So they ended up using those shots and they were like, thank God you did that. Because if you hadn't have shot that, we would have been in big trouble. But yeah, so I. I will do that with with uh, with fame you know I did it with Rihanna we were running around London like having to ditch paparazzi and and dip in so I love run and gun I love guerrilla and you know I've lit bridges on fire with with, you know I mean I do crazy stuff like
1: that with producers over watching with (laughs) binoculars freaking out (laughs) So. Well, when you when you do these huge budget, high concept movie posters, like yeah. how how specific are the creative briefs? Because I'm sure that you know there's always room to to shoot and be creative outside of the proverbial box. Yeah. But I would imagine are those is that box pretty rigid as you walk into the shoot? Because I mean, there's that much money at stake. Is it pretty? You get pretty specific details ahead of time of what you what they want you to shoot.
0: Uh. Yes, yes and no. I mean, for the most part, yes. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a process. Uh, get about, uh, start with like 150 sketches that guys are really detailed, like cartoon, like comic books, sketches that guys are doing in cubicles. So they'll sketch body weight. Like this is never humanly possible that they can get in this. Uh, But, and depending on how much time it's usually, I, it's like a a conveyor, but like I get all the sketches and then I'll do what's inspired at the moment. You know what I mean? But you got to imagine it's a $200 million production, right? Uh, And a lot is writing on it. There's there's about four of us that do 90% of the movie posters. It's one of it's like in the fashion world. It's the hardest job to get. Once you're in, you're in, because they know that you're going to deliver. Um, and there's oftentimes, I've had them, you know, Hugh Jackman will walk out, and I'm supposed to have him for 45 minutes, and they're like, you have 18 minutes. And I'm like, okay. And I have to do three lighting setups, all the poses, all that, and I get it, and I nail it, you know. Um, so... Once again, it's that experience, uh, but I'm always, same with that, like I remember when I did one of the Avengers, and it was like a huge battle scene, instead of having them pose, you know, I got bands, you know, those workout bands, and had them like pulling, like so you could get the muscles and all that stuff. I'd never done that before, but what do you got to do to get the most realistic shot? And I, I always read the scripts, so when the actors come out, I'm not just like,
1: hey, stand there, I'm like, okay, pull out that part of, you know, your character, you know, and I think they appreciate that. So even though there, there's a little bit of, of wiggle room to be creative and kind of switch things up while you're on set, it's, it's a lot of pre-production that goes into it, both on their part and your part.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah. And I meet with the studios beforehand, usually, uh, or they'll send me the decks and we have a call. And then they'll say, what are your favorites? And I'll be like, get rid of like this, this, this. Uh, you get a lot of redundancy. So um, it's it's about how do I do this in a different way? Uh, and then you get the actors on the set and we're like, let's try this. And, you know, and I'm, you know, once again, looking to evolve, let's get a water, you know, fountain and explosions, let's do smoke and, you know, just different things to make it interesting.
1: And at what point during the process do you usually get to shoot the actors? Because, I mean, I know what a what a grind it can be from their perspective, where they do these like press junkets where they're in yeah, a town and they're asked yeah. the same question. I know, I know, I, obviously that's not what you're doing and I understand that, but the, the fatigue... From having to do that must carry over.
0: Yeah, w- when I come in, it's a special shoot, so they're usually on a down day, and they're coming in to just shoot with me. And they they know the gravity, and they they're they're prepared for it. Sometimes, most often, sometimes not. I just had an, an actress come up out, out two years after we shot, and she's like, "I am so sorry, I was such a bee. That I didn't know we were doing this. I came on the set. I'm like, sweetie, it's totally cool. We crushed this whole. I didn't. I don't remember that, but you were great. Uh, So sometimes they don't, but uh, there's times like I remember on a big movie, we went over to London and we sat for a week till we did our first shot. There's oftentimes we will sit on the set for 11 hours till we get the actors. You know what I mean? So it's just you got to be prepared for whatever, and we roll with it, and uh, you know. It's been a you know it's been a blessing. Those those movie posters are what finance my thirty six shark's expeditions. You know, I, I, I would have a much bigger house and I'm sure a lot more cars if if that interests me, but it doesn't. So um, I'm really grateful for those opportunities because it's allowed me to really fulfill my personal projects, which I've always done. Um, and I'm working on a few right now. That
1: yeah, we'll, I definitely we'll get to your shark scary. stuff in a minute because I really want to get your input on that too. But um, I'm curious, um, this is a really interesting time for photography, you know, with digital photography and the iPhone, it's kind of democratized it. But it seems like you are lucky to be relatively insulated in that your two passions are, you know, shooting celebrities and shooting sharks. Like there's quite a barrier of entry for like a kid with an iPhone to be able to shoot those two things.
0: I mean, I get what you're saying. Yeah, listen, I I came up in a different time. It was in the 80s and 90s. We had film. There wasn't the internet. There wasn't publicists. You know, it was just uh, there wasn't as many photographers because you had to buy a roll of film. You got 36 frames, and each frame costs about 6 $7 because you had to buy the film, and then you had to process it. Uh, so you really had to learn how to frame and how to make your images count. Now everyone just shoots, 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 and then deletes, and that's... Where these, like, you get these people on Instagram I've never heard of that have 7 million followers. And then I'm like, Annie Leibowitz has 140,000. What's going on here? But uh, I had the clients, I watched maybe in the recession, like big corporate, big companies going to those Instagram people, right? On big shoots like I do. And they did not know what to do. And all those companies, like, a year later said, Yeah, we learned our lesson. You get what you pay for it. I'm like, Yeah.
1: You know, uh, but it's it's a different time. You know, everyone's a photographer now, right? Everyone shoots. The point I was getting at with the barrier of entry is like, you know, back in the day, besides just having like talent, there was a barrier of entry of just even knowing how to load an RZ back and focus and expose, you know, and like a lot of that is ah. completely evaporated now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, those foundational directing people, framing, timing, uh, the the experience if you don't have that I don't care what you're shooting on whether it's an iPhone or a Leica or a phase one or a Hossel like you, you need those to make in my opinion to make you know phenomenal shots but there's I'm sure 15, 16 year old kids out there that maybe have the talent like I feel like I was given that gift you know when the universe is doling out your gifts, that's one of the gifts I got at a young age. I loved it. I was good at it. And if you're, if you're listening to this and you're one of those kids, man, then keep going, man.
1: I remember when I was a photo assistant, um, Matthew Rawson said something to me that was always really stuck. And he was getting paid. We we're shooting a L'Oreal shoot. And I, f- I don't even remember what the number was, but it was an exorbitant amount of money. And, oh, yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, he basically turned to me. He's like, I'm not getting paid that much money today. I'm getting paid that much money today because of the last 15 years that I've been shooting. And you know, that yep. really, it always really stuck. It's like, it's, it's the experience that clients pay you for, not the image or the drive that you give them. Right. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, a little bit of both A little bit of both. The image, okay. not the drive, the image. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I think, you know, they're, yeah, they're paying for that. They're paying for the name. They know what you're going to, they know that they have an expectation of what you're going to bring to the table. They don't know. And I think that's also part of the allure. You know, I've had a lot of people that are like, I've been wanting to work with you for years. You know what I mean? So I think there's some of that too, that to experience your experience and collaborate, which is what I always say. Like I'm you know i there's no i in team i'm only as strong as my team i'm only as strong as my clients uh, willing to collaborate with me willing to give me the freedom Making me rigid, okay, I'll work with inside your boxes. So it's like, uh, it's a it's definite team effort unless it's just me and the subject. And then it's still a collaboration because like you said, you got to get
1: the trust and you got to get that energy going. What are some of the mo- most difficult challenges or attributes of people that you have to collaborate? Like what, what, what aspects or, or personalities do you not really vibe with as much when you're when you're collaborating? Like, is there a certain type of, of art director or a certain type of creative that just makes it difficult to get done what you want to do? no.
0: Nah. Nope. And I don't even remember those difficult ones. I would only say fear. Fear keeps people uh, from, you know, wanting to take chances and they're scared. But I I don't let their fear yeah. affect me. I go, okay, okay. Hold on, just let me, you know, whatever. I, I It's like COVID right now, you know. People have this illusion that they have control, right? Yeah. And this has been such a test for everyone to be like, you know what? You don't have control of shit except for your own reaction and your own inward stuff. That's it. That's it. And you know what's taught me that? The oceans. Like, the oceans just humble you so fast and make you go like, yeah, I'm just a speck. And I think the sooner you really accept that, uh, the sooner you don't, let pe- you don't react to people's fears and what they're bringing to the table, you're like, you know, for me, I, I overcome that with my own tools, I guess.
1: Um, well, so I'm curious about the relationship between your commissioned work and the work you do with sharks. For me, for instance, like I, you know, I worked with Puffy for years, and I went on tour with Outcasts and The Strokes, and I did a lot of music photography. And then last year, I put out a photography book chronicling ten years of surf culture on the North Shore. So, I spent a lot of time with surfers over in Hawaii, and they would seem like they would be very different subjects, but there was actually a lot of similarities in terms of the skills that I needed to, to photograph them. A lot of, a lot of people skills, a lot of, you know, narrative skills, a lot of distilling time into certain frames. And you know, at, at face value, it would seem like your body of work with celebrities and movie posters and sharks would have an even more disconnect but are there similarities in terms of how you approach or how you prepare to shoot a movie poster or a celebrity as opposed to a shark in terms of you know respect or deference or, or preparation <laughs>
0: Look, I mean, I've shot a lot of surfers over my day, too. And, the, yeah, they're, you know, athletes are, are a different breed than actors. I mean, you know, a little different. Like, they're, uh, they're more reserved, you know. Um, uh, and, you know, you got, everyone's different. Everyone's different. Every shark's a little different, you know. Uh, they have different personalities, especially the white sharks. You know, they're, they're definitely a, a different breed. But it's what you said. It's respect. I respect myself. I respect my subjects. Uh, if they say no, I don't try to push them. Uh, if I feel in danger from a shark, I don't try to push it. You know what I mean? I have respect, the utmost respect, especially for nature. But, and my fellow humans, you know. That's one of the universal laws. Treat others like you want to be treated. You
1: do that, you're going to have a pretty, probably smooth time. So, I watched the, have you seen the Tiger Woods documentary? On oh, HBO yeah. On yet? Yeah. 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 such an amazing documentary and I'm not yeah. me personally like I am not knowledgeable or have a love of golf whatsoever but I think that's that's the mark of an amazing documentary is they could make you care about something that you don't really care about necessarily that's cause, that's because he wasn't involved it's like the Michael Jordan I wish he wasn't involved with that because then yeah. we would have
0: really seen what Jordan did yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, but I love that scene when uh, there was a chapter in his life where it was pretty hectic and there's some traumatic things going on and he decided to really get involved in scuba diving and one mm-hmm. of his friends asked him, you know, what, why, why are you involved in this right now? What's it mean to you? And he said, it's, it's, it's one of the few places where you can go and nobody recognizes him and people yep. will leave him, people will leave him alone. And I thought that was, I mean, a, it was, it was kind of a sad statement, but also like really poignant. You know, I'm wondering what was it about being underwater to you that originally attracted you to, to start to do what you do? He sort of took the words out of my mouth because I also uh, have dealt
0: with a lot of trauma, a lot of PTSD. Uh, at the time, 15 years ago, didn't even know I had it because I thought you had to go to Vietnam to get that, you know, diagnosis. And it was like, I couldn't quantify why, what drew me to it so much. I, I really couldn't. I, I, I knew I loved it I, uh, and I was at peace there. And people would ask me, like, why do you swim with sharks? Are you an adrenaline junkie? And I'm like, no, like, I've never jumped out of a plane. Like, I'm a big risk assessment guy. I mean, I've done, I put myself in a lot of positions, but I only do it when I know I'm going to to survive. So they would ask me, and maybe, like, I don't know, six years ago, I was out of the cage with a bunch of white sharks swarming around me, and it, 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 like, hit me. You'll hear about this or watch the sort of The journey, and I have an immersive series coming out in VR and on mobile, and it's sort of mind-blowing. But it hit me like a lightning bolt, and I remember like the hairs on my arms standing up in my wetsuit. And I'm like, oh my God, this is why I do this. It's the first time in my life I'm really in the moment purely in this moment because you have to be you have to be with white sharks and i was like oh my god i I want this on land like i don't want to have to go swim with great white sharks to be in the moment and that started me on a journey of of uh meditation but it also i think really helped me unravel a lot of my ptsd at a really surface level i had to really go in deep with you know therapists and healers and different people to. Get to the root of stuff but yeah it's quiet down there so I when Tiger said that I could relate really I was like yep I know exactly what this guy's talking Like, and there's a lot of uh, you know Kobe like there's just a lot of people that, that go there they love it you know
1: yeah, I thought that was a, the Tiger documentary was really interesting. I mean, people always kind of compare him to, you know, the Michael Jordan of yeah. of golf. But he, in some ways, it seems I like was closer to like Michael Jackson in terms of his relationship with his father. I mean, wasn't mm-hmm. quite as domineering as Joe Jackson, but I mean, he was he was built and engineered to be a golf machine, like by design from yeah. from the beginning. You know, and and it's really it, it was interesting to see how that played out. You know, later in his life, and
0: well, the golf the golf machine was just that one part of it. If he was just a golf machine, And then you bring in race And everything else Like You know What happened at the Masters That was disgusting What they did Like that would have Never happened It really would have Never happened And the pressure of his dad Saying he's going to Transcend golf And change humanity Like What a weight of the world To carry on your shoulders Yeah And I know people that knew him And said he was like A little kid He would play video games You know what I mean At like mid-20 You're making millions of dollars You can go out And he would want to stay in And play video games And I think You know When his father past obviously had so much pain from that and, and turmoil with it uh and obviously you know it, it, uh, you, it you start acting on that or medicating
1: it you know you, you, pain is pain you medicate if you don't deal with it yeah so I, I feel like as humans we have a natural inclination to to fear the unknown and that's so true with sharks i mean people are terrified of sharks I, that's i think what i love most about what you've been able to do with photographing sharks is that you personify them and I don't want to say humanized, because that's the wrong word, but we make them, we understand them, and and you you kind of see the humanity within these animals, that they're not just these superhuman killing machines. And it it struck me as kind of funny, because it seems like almost, like some of these movie posters that you do, it's almost the exact opposite of that, in that you're taking an actor who is mortal, who's human, and you're tasked with presenting them as beyond human and spectacular. I mean, am, am I reaching? Is there an irony there? Yeah. I mean, that's sort of what you do. you you know, I, I, that's why I shoot up at them. There's, there's reasons
0: cause you make them bigger than you and look like a God and, uh, taller than they are standing above you and lit, you know, in this glorious light. Um, and there's times for that. And then there's times for the raw emotion where you are really seeing the human side of people. So it depends on what you're after and what you're doing. You know, you know, it's, it's interesting. I'm at this, you know, I just turned 50 and this last year has really given me a time to reflect and and for the last thirty five years when even when you're documenting this you know our 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 culture uh part of me feels like a lot of times i've been selling something whether it's a shoe, a movie, a celebrity an athlete you know it, it, you're you're really helping sell their brand their personality whatever you know and I've met a place in my in my life where I've been there done that so to speak, and now I want to really sort of help the planet and help things that are bigger than me that I feel like need need the attention they do. Uh, and that's not to say that it, I won't continue doing that work, but you know, we're we're in a we're in a situation right now where I feel like I have the ability and so I'm working on some really cool things that hopefully will will give me platforms to change those things, but you know, I've I've had a really blessed life. I I I had a friend over looking for a particular photo and we had to go to my archive list and I was even like I was like Jesus! How the hell did I shoot all that? (laughs) Did I shoot that? I mean, it's just—I have like 18 million images just in my digital archive. It's just like, wow. Okay, you know, all right. What do you want to? What do you want to do next? Uh, And that's that's where life gets fun because um, it's easy to do the same thing over and over again. I know a lot of my peers do it because my reps tell me and my agents, and that's just not me. I, 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 life
1: is so short, man. So, I mean, it seems like you're, you're pretty evolved and you're obviously very accomplished and you're young enough at this point to be able to, to, to kind of make some changes. Mm-hmm. Were there any regrets that you had that you, you had to wake up and say, this is not how I want to live and I really want to, I want to change this and it's not too late? Oh, yeah, yeah. Personal, like inward stuff, like me, like
0: uh, I want to evolve into, uh, into the being, like, listen, if there's reincarnation, I don't want to come back here. Uh, so, <laughs> I want to go to the next place, uh, you know, and I think um, for so long, I was so busy working um, working, working, and I was working on myself, but um, you know it 's a process, and i don 't have any regrets, but the most uh, rewarding work i 've done is the work on on myself, uh, not the work i 've done on my pictures, the work i 've done on me. Uh, that 's the hardest work i 've had to ever do. you know, I mean, I spent ten years learning how to swim with white sharks that was a That was a walk in the park <laughs> compared to the looking inward stuff
1: and I mean, I feel like you might have unique perspective on this i 'm always interested in the concept of fame and how different people 's perception and 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 how they interpret it and you 've been around the inside of that machine for quite some time. And there's so many unhappy people in this country right now that are obsessed with fame and that want to be famous, and I think it speaks to like something that's missing inside of so many people. What do you think is the biggest misconception about fame that if people knew that they might not want to be famous?
0: Oh, I got a few of them because uh, there's this illusion that, yeah, if you get famous, it's like, "Wow, look, And you know what? you want to know the reality of fame? You're a prisoner in your own house for the most part. You question everyone that, do they, are they, do they want to be my friend? Or what are they after? What do they want? People taking pictures of the most vulnerable positions trying to get you to do something. Here's the worst. You're having dinner with your wife. Uh, excuse me, I don't mean to bother you. Can I take a picture with you? You're like, you are bothering me. I'm trying to have a talk with my wife. I just need a selfie. And that wasn't the way it was you know, 30 years ago. Yeah. People weren't doing that because they just didn't do it. Now, everyone is coming at you. So what does that mean? You don't want to go out as much. You get insulated, 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 and you have a machine that is pulling at you because you're a meal ticket for so many people. And now, now, I mean, look at, I don't even want to say, but like you have to watch your P's and Q's. You say one thing wrong, you do one thing wrong, you're done you're yeah. done. So the culture's changed. Now it's TikTok famous and Instagram famous. And you got this Kardashians and this and that. And it's like, it's, it's nuts. And look, I know many people with money and fame and they're miserable. They're miserable. Okay. So I wouldn't, be, I don't want to be famous. Like, no,
1: not in that, not in that way. No way, man. I mean, that's why I think you'd be a good person to ask this. Cause you, you've gotten to kind of skirt, the, the perimeter of fame in terms of getting to experience it and some of the excitement of it, and so have I. You know, it's interesting, but, um, yeah, I'm not mm-hmm. interested in being famous, like, and, and, and and I don't think that it's going to change any sort of hole that you have inside of you, either.
0: Some of my closest friends are extremely famous, and they're amazing people, and they have huge hearts, and, uh, and I don't want anything, and that's why we're friends, because, you know, I, I don't want anything from them. And so... That doesn't mean they're not great people and their stuff, but they have challenges and and uh, and they deal with it. You know, it's 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 the payoff. You know, they also fly around in private jets and have personal chefs and personal trainers and, you know, So I'm like, yeah. here's the world's <laughs> smallest. Here's the world's smallest When they yeah. complain to me, I'm
1: like, yeah, shut shut the fuck up, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, we always like to end this podcast by giving the guests an opportunity to um, to plug something that they feel hasn't really gotten the the, the shine that it, that it should have. Do you do you want to take this opportunity to shout out anything or to kind of plug something that people might not be aware of?
0: I'll plug my immersive series, which is called Into the Now. It, it's going to be available on your mobile and VR headsets. It's nine films. I tried changing people's perceptions with photos, found it couldn't work. But when I brought Bucci and Sean White and different people out on boats and they saw it, their brains got rewired. So I was like, well, I can't take everyone out. And four years ago, I was sitting at LAX. And I'm like, VR, that's the future. Where do people want to explore space? NASA owns that. Underwater, I own that. Called my media company. Started this process. Spent four years creating this series. And it's mind-bending. It's super cool. But I made it available also on mobile so people can use their phones and look all around. It's really, really cool. So... know we have a a really sort of worldwide launch uh next month of something that's going to change the world which is super cool it has to do with the oceans that i can't tell you but you'll see it and you'll know it because i'll be part of it and and it's super cool and i've been working on that with with my partners for two years and it's it's game changer and it's a world changer and it has to do with our oceans
1: well very excited to to check that out when it comes out and uh Michael, I'm a big fan of what you do. I know uh, you're a busy man. Thank you for taking the time to sit down, and uh, I'm really excited we got to get inside your head for a little bit. My pleasure. Have a good one, man. Appreciate it. Me too. Thanks for listening, and a huge thanks to today's guest for dropping in. If you enjoyed this episode, do us a favor and take a minute to rate, review, follow, or subscribe. This episode of The Plug was executive produced by Ryan Bucci and Peter Buckingham. Theme music by Andrew Van Weingarten and Dan Drohan, with sound design by Brad Worrell at Soundwag. Thanks again, and be sure to tune in for future conversations.